you know, because the lie is that weakness, that area where you're not that strong, that's going to keep you from being effective. That's going to keep you from being used by God. And in fact, it was all out there, and yet it was evident that God was still at work. So I hope your summer's going all right so far, JR. Yeah, it's been great. How about you? Uh, it's hot. <laughs> that's the one thing we can always say about the Northeast. It doesn't matter when you record in the summer, it will always be hot and the humidity will be unbearable. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so speaking of summer, summer's often a good time to enjoy some other things and maybe other more intense times of the year we can't. So, you know, just these first few minutes, we want to talk about hobbies and uh, especially hobbies in the life of a pastor. So what are some of the hobbies that you have that you enjoy doing just for the sake of doing because they're yeah. enjoyable? That's a, I, boy, I could probably talk in my hobbies for <laughs> days. Uh, yeah, I, the one that comes to mind right off the bat is fly fishing. Uh, I have spent, I, I was really fortunate. My, my dad was a football coach growing up, and so he didn't have falls with us. But from April through when football camp started the second week of August, we would fish two to three times a week, my brother and myself and my dad. And so he just built this love for rivers and streams and bodies of water in us. And so for me, that's where I really seem to be gra- be drawn to in order to find refreshment. Yeah, good. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. I think fly fishing is really exciting because it's old uh, for me and uh, it's, you know, it's been part of, uh, it's been part of my family for a long time. I have, you know, some of the weird stuff I have. I have an old creel that was my great grandfather's that was wicker and it, you know, I still fish with it, which is super cool. That's great. Um, but yeah, it's, there's something about being on the water for me that, um, and, you know, throwing, throwing flies that myself and my son tie to, you know, rising trout on some of these little streams in southeastern Pennsylvania, which is super, super fun. Yeah, that's great. It's very biblical. Of yeah. course, a pastor likes to fish. Well, but Way I, to go. you know, I actually think the Greek was wrong. I think Jesus said, I will make you fishers of trout, not fishers of men. And so... But it, you know, there's really bad pastor fishing jokes. Like there, I can't tell you growing up how many times, like the Bible really got into me, maybe a little bit too literally, <laughs> but I wouldn't be catching fish. I think cast to the other side and I cast and I still wouldn't catch any fish. So I was like, I missed it. I missed it. Uh, how about you, JR? What are some hobbies that, or what's a hobby that you're into? Yeah. A few years ago, uh, Megan and I enjoyed doing some sprint triathlons. And some people said, that's not a hobby. That sounds like torture. (laughs) We did it for two years. And then after that, I retired. But I still love to swim, which is so weird because growing up, I knew how to swim, but I wouldn't go like on the swim team and just swim laps. And now I love it. Three days a week, love being in the water. Uh, so that's that's like a great hobby. Anything that'll get me out of bed and out the door by 6.15, I guess, uh, means I like it somewhat. So that's great. But I love baseball. I love watching baseball. I love playing baseball. And people say, baseball's boring. And I go, you're exactly right. And in <laughs> fact, you know, I'm, I'm a type one, uh, type A, Enneagram one driven person. And so I need baseball to slow me down. So every summer, it's not just going to watch the Phillies. But we love the minor league baseball that's within an hour of where we live here. And so that's been great, watching my sons play baseball, sometimes coaching them in their little league teams. We love backyard 
barefoot wiffle ball games at our house. Those so, are epic, and they so have people talk about them in we town. We love having our neighbors. <laughs> I mean, we'll have neighborhood. Yeah, we'll, we'll even put the chalk lines down and everything uh, and play. We'll, we'll mow like down the <laughs> down the base paths. And so, and, and just so everyone great. knows, uh, the Briggs took out a tree in their yard and about <laughs> 18 tons of rock just to make a bigger diamond. <laughs> that which, is true. That's commitment that true. right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it is boring, but it slows me down, and that's what I need. And, uh, I mean, you could go into all sorts of things about baseball. It's the only sport where the defense has the ball in their hands. It's the only sport where uh, if on in the offense you touch the ball, you're out. Uh, there's no shot clock. There's no game clock. And definitely it could go on forever. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of just metaphors even to the spiritual life. And uh, so we, we love doing that. And I do love reading, not just heady theological stuff, but all sorts of biographies and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Doug, why do you think it's important for pastors to have hobbies? Because I know the temptation is, well, it's spiritual work. It's just too important. There's too many serious things going on. I don't have time to have fun. What would you say to pastors that that are really believing that temptation? Because it's tempting. It is tempting. Uh, Just a very short, pithy phrase. Recreation is recreation. Ooh, that's good. And so I feel like for me to get out into a hobby is it's recreation. It's fun. Mm. There is no purpose. The purpose is to enjoy being present with it. And I think too, that's the great thing about baseball, about fishing, about reading is you, you, you can't do anything else. You are just stuck there watching it, being part of it and enjoying it. And it just, uh, for me, it, it's, it, it, it recreates me. I mean, yeah. I, you know, my, my wife can tell, if she doesn't see me all day, she can tell you, she can tell people, oh, he went fishing today. Interesting. Because she just says, you're just different. When you yeah, come back, you're good. different. That's and good. I think there's something that happens. My soul is recreated in those moments. Yeah, that's good. So going further, what would you tell a pastor that says, I don't have any hobbies. I don't even know where to start. What Ooh. would you encourage them with? That's really, that's a good question. Uh, I think I would begin to just, uh, j- even to explore, you know, well, what are some things that, that might interest you? And maybe start there. I feel like, you know, some people aren't sports people. Some people aren't uh, outdoors people. And so even to realize that, you know, just because we talk about baseball and, you know, swimming and fishing and things like that, I, I think it could, e- and it could even be something as simple as, you know, painting or, yeah. you know, you know, paint by the number stuff or, you know, building something or yard work. Yard or, work. I mean, yeah, yeah. there's uh, there's quite a few folks that I know who are pastors who their favorite thing to do is mow the yard. Yeah. And, you know, some blows of the, my mind. It does blow your mind. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy blowing the yard too, but not, not to the point where it's like recreation. I enjoy, mowing. I enjoy having mowed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> when it's all done, go, yeah, 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 look at that. Look what I did. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a mentor of mine who was in ministry, and he said he loved woodworking. And I asked him why, and he said uh, he liked working with his hands, but he, he said, so much of my life with people is never done. You're not done with people. You can't check a box. And he said, I can be done with a piece of furniture or woodworking or whatever and wipe my hands and go, I finish that. I check, I can check the box on that. So it was one of the few things in his life he could finish. And I thought that was really interesting. That is very He can accomplish profound. a project when people aren't projects and can't be finished yes. this side of eternity. So anyway, that really stuck with me. Yeah. So, and you quoted uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. 
What yeah. was the, the yeah. quote you were talking about? So, uh, and you know, I'll probably get it wrong in some way, but but this idea of uh, those who who work with their minds need to Sabbath with their hands, and those who work with their hands Sabbath best with their minds. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I feel like that is such a true statement, and it's because it's the middle stuff, right? I mean, we live in the middle. We, you know, we see beginnings and middles of things. We hardly ever see the end of things. I mean, even when you do something like preparing people for uh, a, you know, for for marriage, and then performing the wedding ceremony, that's just the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, baptizing someone, yes, it feels like an end, but it's actually just the beginning. And so we journey with people in the middle space, and that is that's good. And that's why I can totally resonate with the pastor saying it's great to have a project and to see it to completion and to just have that like moment where I did this. Look at that. Look look at what my hands have created (laughs) (laughs) instead of just playing with these concepts and working with people on a, on a regular basis. But I think even part of that helps us to see God in everything Um, in our hobbies. My sense is people that have healthy hobbies probably also have a very healthy perspective on what they do. Interesting. And I think some yeah. of that is because they, you know, like for instance, baseball, it's not a spiritual thing, but you, well, it is but, to me. <laughs> but, 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 but because, because your work is in the spiritual world, uh-huh. it all of a sudden has, you start to see all these ways that it overlaps into life. Um, you know, same thing with, you know, with, with fishing for me. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll be out on the, water and it's just like I you know look at something that just strikes me in a different way or something happens and I think man it's amazing like I a couple of weeks ago I was fishing this brand new section about about two hours way up past the Poconos which is north of us by by a stretch but I fished the same stuff the same ta- water looks the same doesn't really matter what it is but I caught nothing. And, <laughs> and I realized, okay with that. and I was okay with that because yeah. what I realized is that shows you're a true fisherman. Just because, yeah, <laughs> just because it's water doesn't mean the same thing's going on under the surface. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's and, good. And it just, like, I mean, it, it was one of those things that just sat with me to understand, you know, and for, for some of you other nerds out there like myself, but I fish a lot of limestone streams and the mm. way that they work, they like just such a robust, robust ecosystem. So many bugs in the water, so much life. But I was fishing uh, what they call freestone stream, which is mountains, a lot of rocks. When floods come through, it can really move stuff. Um, But it's not as diverse uh, in terms of the bug life. And so what I realized is I was fishing the same water, same same kind of water, but with completely different outcomes because it was completely different water. But it looked just like everything else. That's great, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I forgot to mention, I love my canoe. I don't oh, know how I forgot yeah. that, dude. Dude, that is like your, that is your hobby. <laughs> I mean, I take it to Peace Valley Park, and the name of my canoe is Shalom. Yeah. So anyway, I'm with you on being on the water, even if it's like inefficient or for no end purpose. But I think we just need to learn how to play. Yes. And so maybe for some of you who are pastors who are listening out there, like, and you're just feeling stressed or burned out, uh, maybe the most spiritual thing you can do today is take a nap or to spend time in a hobby, Mm. or to just begin to think about entering into a new hobby maybe you haven't before. Not for an end goal, not to check a box or to be productive, just simply to do it for its own enjoyment. (laughs) 
We're grateful to have on the Monday morning pastor, Josh Meyer. He's a pastor of discipling and preaching at Franconia Mennonite Church, located northwest of Philadelphia. He's also a leadership minister with the Franconia Conference and an adjunct professor at Eastern University, and has recently finished his doctoral work on the intersection of God's calling, generational dynamics, and pastoral experience. He and his wife, Kim, have two young daughters, Selah and Evie. Welcome with us, our friend, Josh Meyer. Well, it's great to have Josh Meyer here with us. Uh, Doug and I have known Josh for the last several years. In fact, we graduated from seminary together. Yep, yep. What year was that? Do you remember? Was that 2014? 2011. 2011? Yeah. yeah. We're wow. old, dude. Wow. <laughs> we are old. So everything we've learned is now outdated and nobody cares. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, Josh is in the area. And uh, tell us a little bit about the church that you're currently a part of. Yeah, so I currently serve at Franconia Mennonite Church. It is a nearly 300-year-old congregation. I actually looked up the date um, prep for this. 1729, the congregation Oh, my started. gosh. That's yeah. unbelievable. So we are older than the United States, <laughs> uh, li- literally, yeah, which literally. is crazy. So that's got all kinds of dynamics being at a church uh, like that. Uh, but yeah, so I am the, the pastor of discipling, and I carry the preaching portfolio. So... All things sort of related to discipleship, and then uh, I do most of the Sunday morning preaching, set the preaching calendar, that kind of deal. Yeah, that's awesome. And you did not grow up Mennonite. So tell us a little bit about your journey of how non-Mennonite ends up in a Mennonite congregation. Yes. So I affectionately refer to myself as a denominational mutt. So I have been all over the spectrum. So I'll give you the quick run through. I was uh, born and dedicated as an infant at a Baptist congregation. When I was in third grade, my parents uh, moved to a Lutheran congregation. My mom was actually on staff at that church. She was the director of Christian education. So I spent sort of my growing up into youth group years in a Lutheran congregation. When I was in high school, I started dating a girl who went to a Brethren in Christ church. (laughs) So I went with her family for uh, like a year. That was kind of my first uh, introduction to Anabaptists in general. Okay, okay. Uh, in college, I went to a charismatic vineyard congregation. Wow. Got my Holy Spirit on, uh, and that was fantastic. When I was home from college, I attended a local sort of evangelical megachurch in the area. A number of my friends attended there, so I went there. When I graduated college, I got a job and spent my first five years in ministry in a mainline United Methodist congregation, and now I have been grafted into the Mennonites. So are there any denom- denominations you have not been a part of? Uh, I'm, I'm checking them off my Man, list. that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's been, yeah. So I mean, that whole history though, I think has been really helpful for me. It has formed me and shaped me as a pastor having positive experiences in each of those settings. I think it's helped me pastor well in the setting that I'm in. Uh, so even though I didn't grow up Mennonite, I have sort of said coming to an Anabaptist congregation felt like a coming home, even though I'd never been in a Mennonite church before, because theologically I aligned so well. Uh, but it's also not my tribe. I have experience outside of that. And so that that perspective, I think, has been helpful. Yeah, that's terrific. What What are some of those dynamics? I'm trying to wrap my brain around a church that's older than the United States. Like, what is that like? And, you know, I've had that privilege of preaching at Franconia too. And so I know some of the dynamics there, but maybe for some people who aren't familiar with your church, 
or aren't from the region, like what is that like? What are the positives and maybe even some of the mm-hmm. tension points uh, yeah. in trying to navigate that as a pastor? So there's incredible stability. <laughs> the church has been there for hundreds of years. It's it's a stable context. And yeah, I say that jokingly, but that actually is a, a valid thing. I mean, it, this is not a five-year-old church plan or even a 25-year-old congregation where um, there's not that stability. This this congregation's been there. And so there are there are deep roots and that that there's a lot to say for having really deep roots in an area. There is kind of a long-standing witness in a particular area when you've been there for generation after generation after generation. Uh, and so there's a lot of really good, helpful, beautiful things about that. There's a, there's some drawbacks. Change comes slowly, um, often more slowly than I would like to see. You know, it's the old analogy. It's you're, you're turning a cruise ship, not a kayak. And so I feel, and, and I say this with as much love and admiration. I cherish this congregation. Uh, we are 10 to 15 years behind in terms of some of the changes in acknowledging kind of our cultural context. Mm. Uh, not for a lack of acknowledgement, but it just takes that long for change to happen uh, in a congregation like this. And so yeah. when I started, a wise person who knew the congregation well said to me, uh, Josh, you need to know this. Change at Franconia will be measured in a generation, not in a decade. Wow. And so that's kind of been part of my thing is coming in. Like mm. I'm not in two, three, four, five years. I've been there six and a half years. You know, the changes that that are going to take place, that reminder of change will come slowly. How do you stay patient in that? Yeah, so part of it is... That was the person who said that to me. That was such a gift that I went into this with that expectation uh, that change would come slowly. What helps in it is looking back and seeing it's not stagnant. It's just slow, steady change. If it were stagnant, that would be really heavy. There is progress. It's just slow progress. And so I look back and I, I... talk to people, I hear stories about what things were like 25 years ago. And, you know, I acknowledge, okay, there have been changes. Progress has been made. It's, it's slow and it's steady. And then I, I it's, it's individual stories of people who say, hey, I know this is going slowly, but keep going, keep leading. We appreciate you. We value you. Those kinds of kind of little snippets of encouragement are really helpful. So in a in a culture that really is trying to be very fast-paced and we have to get this thing done right now, how is that slowness, um, how's that forming your own soul? I tend to be kind of a type A personality, and so I like to get things done. And so for me, when things don't happen at the pace that I would like them to happen, that can feel like a personal failure, and I can start to blame myself if you were a better leader, Meyer, you would have got that done. Mm. If you were a better pastor, we would be at a different place than we are now. And so that's kind of one of the, the lies that the enemy uh, mm. sneaks into me. Um, and so it has helped remind me that, you know, I read a book one time and one of the, the chapters in the book, uh, the, the title was something like, The Vegetables Aren't Ready Yet. 
And uh, this guy told a story about his son who <laughs> planted seeds and later that afternoon wanted to know, are the vegetables ready? Because I want to show them to mom. Mm. And uh, this guy had to say, well, that's not how vegetables <laughs> grow. So there's a lot of seed planting and waiting and trusting that mm. there's, there's good things growing and happening. Mm. Um, but I can't force it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, one of the things we like to ask here on this podcast is what are the lies you're tempted to believe? You mentioned a few of those already. What are ones maybe related specifically to your context or maybe not, just all of ministry? What are some of those dominating lies in your brain that, and sometimes the lies aren't aren't uh, gross overstatements or lies. Sometimes they're the truth plus or minus 10%, mm-hmm. you know? What are some of those lies you have to remind yourself or catch yourself? Nope, that's not the truth. Yeah. What are some of those? Let's get into your head and your heart a little bit. What are some of those lies? Yeah, so I heard uh, John Piper say one time, and I don't always agree with John Piper, but this rang really true to me. He said, uh, the enemy loves it when pastors are underpaid and underappreciated, and he loves it when pastors are overpaid and overappreciated. And. I have felt the lie of both of those in my own heart and soul. And so he, enemy loves it when a pastor feels underpaid and underappreciated. Uh, and there are times where I feel like the enemy plays on that in my life. And so, you know, my wife works full time um, in part because I don't make enough that she can stay home and part of her would love to stay home. And most of our friends from church, they, you know, the, the, the wife stays home with the kids and, you know, part of me is like, well, okay. And if we did that, I look at our finances and it doesn't work out. And so it's, you know, so the lie there is if you were a better pastor, if you were a better leader, if you were a better man, a better husband, a better provider, your wife could stay home, but mm. she can't because you're not. Uh, now that's not the truth. The truth is I am compensated fairly for the, the, the work that I do. And so, so that's one of those little lies, that subtle little thing where uh, now on the other end, my congregation is wonderfully affirming uh, and very gracious and generous with their encouragement. And so I know not every pastor has this and I recognize what a gift it is, but I am regularly affirmed for the work that I do. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. The other lie is... To be, yeah, to, to read my own press, to, to believe that and to think it, it, yeah, you know what? They're right. I am pretty awesome. Uh, and so I feel like the enemy works at me in that way too. And so puffing me up kind of the pride of uh, this is what I do um, is, is another one. So I, I did an exercise a year ago, which was really helpful. Uh, I'm part of a, a learning community that meets intentionally each month. And the, the coach for this learning community recommended we do this exercise, which with fear and trembling I did. Um, I came up with five questions about myself and I sent them to 10 people who knew me really, really well. Uh, one of them being my wife, uh, a few people who knew me in a ministry context, a few people who knew me outside of ministry, a few uh, old college friends, but people who knew me well. Uh, and I asked them, uh, these five questions about myself. Uh, you got to put yourself out. They're pretty vulnerable questions. Um, so the first question was, uh, what, what do I do well without putting any effort into? Mm. 
The second question was, uh, what three words would you use to describe me? That was revealing. Uh, third question, name an area of my life where you see room for improvement. Where can I get better? Four, uh, if you were put in charge of all the world's resources, what would you assign me to do? Uh, and then five, what happens when I walk into a room? What shows up when I show up? Wow. Unbelievable questions. Yeah. I'm stealing those. Feel free. They, that is they're, fantastic. They're not original to me. I want On the record, those are not my questions. <laughs> um, and so when he recommended it, I'll be honest, I, I didn't want to send that out to 10 mm -hmm. people who knew me well because I was unsure of the kind of responses that I would get. Um, but it was one of the most important things I've done in the past year. Um, and it helped, you know, so I talked about those two lies on either end of the spectrum. And so seeing these kinds of responses helped to balance out both of those lies uh, in, in a really profound way. Wow. Wow. You don't have to necessarily tell us what those answers were that came back or those themes. No pressure there. But what were some of the ways in which you took that information and it actually kind of got through your bloodstream or created some formation or changes of what you did or what you stopped doing? I compiled them and I, I compiled them in a document and kind of intentionally didn't read through them and process them carefully until I had all the feedback back. And I then spent an afternoon and uh, just poured over all of it. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm sitting in my office at church like, Weeping is maybe too strong of a word, but uh, I mean, there's tears coming down my face. People are walking by my door like, is Josh okay in there? And I'm just, I'm waving them on, go, go. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, there was affirmation for parts of my life and character that I didn't expect. There were certain kinds of affirmation that I was anticipating. And so I, I sort of chalk, okay, the, the, what do I do well? I know what people are going to say there. And some of it they did say, but there were a lot of things that people said that I wasn't expecting and anticipating. Uh, and I was unprepared for how much that would mean to me, the things they saw in me and recognized about me that that, that was just really, really powerful. Um, the things that when I asked about where can I be better, it was interesting that a lot of the things that they mentioned were things that I already knew about myself and so having other people identify those things was actually freeing in a way uh, to know, okay, I know this about myself. Others know it about me and I'm okay. I'm still loved. I'm still valued. I'm still appreciated. I'm still able to do this despite and in spite of those weaknesses. And in fact, some of those weaknesses are the ways that God has, has worked through those. Um, you know, because the lie is, that weakness, that area where you're not that strong, that's going to keep you from being effective. That's going to keep you from being used by God. And in fact, it was all out there, and yet it was evident that God was still at work. And so that was really, really powerful for me. Mm, that takes a ton of courage on your part to do that. I'm just even thinking about some listeners going, there's no way I would do something like that. So what was the courage, the intestinal fortitude that you had to say, I need to do this? Why did you push through knowing it was going to be awkward? And it was, but why did you still do it? It took about a month before I did it. Mm. Uh, and it was, it was that learning community that I'm a part of and kind of the accountability of knowing, well, others are doing that as well. I think if I heard this idea, I would have said, oh, that's a really cool idea. I should do that. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't have done it. The fact that I knew I was going to get back together in a month with these people and 
we didn't sort of make this pact, like a blood pact. We were all going to do it, but I knew we were going to get back together and talk about it. And, you know, I didn't, we didn't all share the answers that we revealed, but we each talked about the experience we had doing it. And so just that accountability was, was huge. Thanks for listening into this conversation with Josh Meyer. We were really grateful that we had an opportunity to sit down with him. And because this was such a significant conversation, we've actually put it into two parts. And so if you tune in next week, you will get to hear part two. Um, And we will also have just a ton of really good uh, notes in our show notes for you to check out some of the things that Josh was talking about. And you'll see most of them in the following week. Lastly, we want to continue to encourage you all to engage that challenge that we laid out a few weeks ago about having some time set aside to be with the Lord or a day away with God. Uh, And we would also love to hear from you in terms of what things you've been hearing and growing and how that's been helpful for you. Feel free to send us an email at dougmoister at gmail.com, D-O-U-G-M-O-I-S-T-E-R at gmail.com. So pastors and kingdom leaders, may you be reminded this week that the work you do matters. And it doesn't matter because you are successful. It matters because you are loved by God. And that is your success. May you rest in that and may you live out of that. We'll see you next week.